This is Jim Duncan with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details. Skylar Olson joined us this week. She is the principal economist at Climate Check, a new site that helps consumers and realtors understand risks associated with climate change and how those risks will affect real estate on a property-by-property basis. This was an eye-opening conversation ranging from the impact climate change will have on how and where people live to how quickly these changes may affect real estate markets more than they already have. Hope you enjoy the conversation. Hey, this is Jim Nuck with Nest Realty and Sweat the Details here with my partner, Keith Davis and Skylar Olson, the economist at uh, Climate Check. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about climate today, how it's impacting uh, residential property yeah. and how this tech can be used for uh, consumers, realtors, and anybody in, in the industry. So, Scott, if you don't mind, tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do. Yeah. So, um, let's see. So, I'm I'm the I'm an economist at, at at Climate Check. So, Climate Check is a new company we launched as early as two weeks ago, trying to bring climate risk information literally to your doorstep, right? Climate science has been evolving. We've been growing in our understanding about what the impacts are, where they'll be, um, you know, who will be most affected. But that kind of information is really hard to access. It's either overly scientific or it's trapped, right? In um, ivory towers and government databases and um, in some cases in large institutions that can pay consultants to figure out what the risk is for their full portfolio of homes. So we're trying to surface this kinds of information at the property level for everyday people. So climatecheck.com, you type in your address, you type in your friend's address, you type in the White House, um, and you can figure out uh, five different risks uh, that are related to climate change. So those are things like your temperature risk, storm risk, wildfires, um, flood, and drought. So where where are these data sources coming from? Because I, you know, when yeah. in, from a practitioner perspective, I've looked at the FEMA websites and the locality, sure. um, you know, the flood zone risks there. But how is this how is this data more accurate for the consumer? Yeah, absolutely. So FEMA is well. Let's put it this way. So when we look at your flood risk, one of the ways that we think about it is what's the probability that you'll have a flood at your property uh, before 2020. And we also prevent to you how deep on average that kind of flood is expected to be. FEMA's really just uh, looking at the 100-year flood right now. So what is your probability of having a significant flood at your doorstep of a flood that's so extreme, it'll happen every 100 years, right? In the future, because of climate change, um, those kinds of floods will be more likely. Um, But it's not just these extreme floods that we're looking at. We're also looking at more regular flooding due to, say, high tide with sea level rise. Um, We're also looking at inland flooding. So those are generally referred to as fluvial floods. So when so much water falls from the sky, right, you'll you'll have flooding there as well. Now, FEMA captures some of that. But again, there it's just now. Climate change is going to make these extreme weather events, both hurricanes um, or, you know, inland, you don't need a hurricane to have, you know, extreme, extreme precipitation, um, will make this kinds of flooding much more likely. Climate change is, you know, we talk a lot about average temperature increases, and that's probably, you know, the the most readily understood aspect of, of climate change. But a big part of what climate change is going to bring is 
really unpredictability, incredible variance, you know, the hottest of days, the coldest of winters, the heaviest, you know, more extreme precipitation, uh, followed by, or excuse me, preceded by, or, or maybe followed by, you know, long periods of drought, right? So it's the extremes that are going to become much more likely. And, and so for the average homeowner, for the average commercial property owner, for anyone kind of dealing sure. with risk management, we're used to checking store uh, flood damage, right? Flood risk. Sure. sure. We certainly all think about fire risk in this summer has heightened mm-hmm. the, the understanding of the danger of that and not not just in the areas that we typically think of as being fire areas. Mm-hmm. The other the other risk factors you're bringing, like storm risk. Sure. Um, it's not just talking about people on the coast who look at storm wow. surge and look at hurricanes. You're talking about people three, four hours inland that are having heightened risk from from these storms. So, and and probably, I mean, I, I only say three or four hours just because I looked at a few addresses. It may well be throughout the entire country. This is, is yeah. you know, what should what should people be thinking about these different risks? How I mean, how do you gauge what one risk is is greater than the other? What are what should yeah. be thinking about? Yeah, well, each one we're thinking about it a little bit differently. So let's take let's take storm for example. Sure. So one of the ways, so there's well, so okay, so two of the risks that we have on our list, something like wildfire or flooding, that's absolutely talking about kind of you know catastrophic possible damage to your property, right? When we're talking about storm risk, this is separate from flood. We're talking about storm risk. These are peer, you know what's underlying this risk data is how many extreme precipitation events you might expect. So like, let's talk Western Pennsylvania is actually one of the places that has some of the highest risk scores for storms. This is a lot of precipitation falling at once, right? That could mean, you know, some flash flooding or uh, erosion happening around your property. You may have to install, um, you know, better storm drains or uh, French drains in order to handle that kind of runoff. But it could also be a snowmageddon kind of event, right? If it's an extreme precipitation event in the middle of winter, this is now a period of time where you're shoveling your driveway way more, right? You're going to have to do that far more often. There's probably likely going to be more periods of time where you'll be stuck at home because of extreme snow. So the storm risk, the way that we create that is actually relative to your current experience, right? So whatever defines an extreme weather event historically in your area. So let's say an extreme weather event, um, for example, in, let's pull out an example here. So, so, you're, so you're, bringing, you're bringing up Western Pennsylvania. So you're saying that yeah. a, high, a high number there doesn't just mean you live in an area with lake effect snow. You're saying that the lake effect snow is going to be worse moving forward than the lake effect snow that's happened yeah. in the past. That what yeah. the community is used to is not, that's a 50 Sure. So let's let's talk about Washington County, Pennsylvania, which has a flood risk of 87, right, which is pretty high on our on our list that ranges from zero to 100. OK, currently you would have around, you know, if I just look at current climatology in the area, not, you know, let's talk about 2050 in a second. But currently you would expect 10 days where there was more than a, uh, an inch and a half of rain over a period of two days. Right. Just 10 times, 10 events like that right? A year. Now, after climate change, because it's the variability, it's the extreme events that are going to become more likely, there are going to be 27 extreme weather events uh, 
where rain is falling or snow is falling, right, over a, uh, 1.5 inches over two days, there's going to be 27 extreme weather events by the year 2050. Annually. Annually. Yeah. That's a similar thing, right? It's If you think about what's going to be the stress on your area, there are areas in the Blue Ridge Mountains, right, that actually have, you know, a pretty low temperature threshold, what we define as extreme heat, Right. In the Blue Ridge Mountains, your higher elevation, it's a little bit cooler on average, but you're going to have more days that relative to historical periods, right, more days that will be considered extreme to your current infrastructure, right? So let's say a s- extreme temperature threshold in the Blue Ridge Mountains is around 85 degrees. That's nothing for someone in Phoenix, right? right. They'd laugh at you. Um, but People in that area don't necessarily have air conditioning. So it's going to put a strain on your infrastructure, right, on the housing in the area that's not necessarily built for temperatures above that level. So we define for things like temperature and storm, both of those are defined on kind of what's normal for your area. And then projecting into the future, how many more times are you going to experience what is currently considered extreme? Well, and it's also huge in, you know, in Virginia, farming is still a large part of our yeah. our economy, um, specifically in our neighborhood, you know, in terms of Charlottesville, Admiral County, wine is a big thing. And so yeah. I would say what you're talking about changes dramatically what businesses can even exist or think that they're going to exist in 30 years. Right, um, right. Or the, what you have in, to in put in place area. to protect those things. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, how does a consumer? Well, let me back up. Sure. How does it? How does a realtor use use this use this data? I mean, I think that having, um, you know, when when you're looking at it from a buy side perspective, you know, if, you know, having the buyer understand the risk in five, ten, fifteen years, mm-hmm. um, and you know, I think also from a seller, how do they establish that, you know, that value risk, if you will. You know, I think, and the third part of the question is going to be, I was talking to my, my wife about this before we started, you know, is this something that has to be disclosed? Yeah. yeah. You know, and I think it's, the answer to the disclosure is no, not yet. But if the yeah. buyer, if the buyer knows that the house is worth 500 a day, worth in air quotes, that you look at the storm score of 96 in 10 years, I mean, I think a reasonable person may look at that and say, well, that's not worth 500 anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so there's a difference definitely between have to and should. Right. Right. And, you know, as much as we have these five different risks, different risks will impact the value of your home differently. Like flood is very clear. If you have a high probability of flood, you're talking property damage um, without some serious intervention. I mean, that's going to impact the value of your home. If 10 years down the line, you know, a flood becomes very likely very often, you know, um, around your property. If it's something like storm or heat, you know, when we think about those risk measures, it's important to kind of take a big step back and consider, you know, that there are areas in this country where it'll be hard not to experience some form of risk or another. So it'll eventually be kind of relative um, in terms of whether or not it'll impact your home values. So, um, you know, for example, if we want to think about central Virginia, you know, you're pretty low on the other 
risk factors. So things like flooding, things like, um, well, wildfire is really a Western state's problem. I got, um, a zero, I got a zero for my house for wildfire, so I felt pretty yeah. good about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually the reason why that is, is, is well, I don't know if this is going to be interesting to other people, but um, deciduous trees hold a lot more moisture in them. So even though on the East Coast you have much more lightning strikes, it's much less likely to lead to a wildfire. Coniver, you know, the, the conifer forests on the West Coast, they tend to be much drier, and so fewer lightning strikes, but but more likely to, to have fire. Um Anyway, anyway, anyway. So you can you can have a place like you can have a place like Central Virginia that has a very you know higher storm risk um, and temperature risk according to the way we're measuring it, which is how you know relative to your current norms that someone I actually might be much more willing to accept. Right. So Scott, Scott, well, let's let's talk about the temperature one because certainly within climate change, I mean, global warming yeah. is the is the piece we look at. Now, yeah. when we talk about global warming, we're talking about very modest increases that have you know enormous impact. But how are yeah. you guys? Ju- I mean, what cu- type of of shift are you referring to that might have a five point movement in your in your hundred point score? I mean, what is yeah. you know I'm I'm trying to remember what ours was in, in central Virginia, uh, a 60. So what is, what is that really kind of relating to expectations over the next 30 years? Yeah. It's about how often do you have these extreme heat days? Okay. Right. So in central Virginia, I think what makes you have an extreme heat day is a temperature of 95 degrees. I think 94 and a half degrees in central Virginia. That defines an extreme heat day. That's we measure what makes an extreme heat day off of historical patterns, right? right? What did we observe in the past? Um, so, if certain, so if we pull up something like that, currently you would expect to have 21 days in some counties in this area that are over 94 degrees. Yeah. Due to climate change and this heightened variability, the extreme events become more likely. That number of days, the number of extreme heat days will double. So if you think about what that does is maybe before you could get away without air conditioning, or maybe you would only turn on your air conditioning for one month. Right. right. In the future, you might want to consider, say, as an agent, right, you might want to suggest to this new buyer of an older home, hey, you within the next 10 years, you're going to have to put in new windows. You're going to have to possibly install uh, more insulation um, because the number of extreme heat will increase. So on average, the average temperatures, it's a time increase. Like you said, global warming, the average temperature, that's a small increase, but it's a big deal. And the way in it comes a big deal to your lifestyle, right, is actually on the tail. It's the extreme event. Um, now, there are places, right, that have similar scores, right, to this temperature risk, but have much higher heat thresholds. Like right. think of um, a place like Phoenix. Our temperature risk isn't that much higher on the scale, Um but the problem is, is that their threshold, they're very used to it, right? <laughs> their threshold is 110 degrees. Currently in Phoenix, 21 days over 110 degrees. That's incredible to me. I, I, can't, I can't fathom that. <laughs> yeah, I can't even. But Phoenix is one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas. Yep. So clearly lots of people are willing to accept that, right? It's they just want a place to be like their air conditioning. Yeah, sure. The problem comes when global warming will bring 46 days over 110 degrees. Now people still accept Phoenix. Well, and that's going to have a cascading effect on the on the on the country. I mean, just from a from a a grid perspective, the infrastructure. You know, once you have more air conditions being added to the grid, that's going to 
put place more weight on that grid, and then we need to make sure we're building enough with enough energy sources to provide and convey that 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 power. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, right now in California, they turn off the grid. Right, right. when things get when a lot of people start using a significant amount of uh, air conditioning, they have to shut it down in in waves because the grid can't handle it. So where, where do you see where do you see the growth for climate check coming? Is it going to be con- from consumers? Do you think who are going to be pushing it to the realtors saying, "Hey, I looked at this the storm score for this house is ninety three. Are you kidding me? You're advising me to buy this house? Yeah. Or is it going to be the realtors are going to be driving it, or is it going to be from other sources that are going to be putting it out there? As you know, your goal, I assume, is to have it as a widget that people use, a data source people use when they're making decisions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so we, when we were first building this product, we did a, a big survey of home buyers um, and asked them whether or not they wanted or would use this information to impact their home buying decisions. And it was a huge majority of people that said that they would. 94% of our sample of, of 500 said that right. using this kind of information would be important. And most of them said that they would use that kind of data to simply understand their risk um, and compare it between different areas. Right. Um, And a smaller share, but not by too much smaller, said it would be about preparing for future risk. So it wouldn't really disqualify. Right. An area. But you would recognize the things that you would have to do to make this place resilient into the future, um, you know, uh, for yourself or your family or how would you protect your property? Um, So when we think about our our future growth, we think people are going to start demanding this information. Right. They're going to start expecting to know it before they buy a home, right? Certainly when it comes to floods, certainly, certainly when it comes to flood. Um, And, you know, certainly when it comes to to wildfire, those other numbers, what we kind of think, you know, things like temperature risk and storm risk, you know, they definitely will impact what you might want to do to your property to make your life, to preserve your lifestyle right forward. Um, And I think that ends up being pretty informative about, you know, where you might want to live or what kind of temperatures you might be willing to accept or snowmageddons, you know, or or whatever else. Um, But yeah, we, we definitely think that there's a, well, I don't think it, I know that there's a growing, um, uh, understanding that climate change is going to impact our, uh, our risk, but also our lifestyles um, into the future. And people are going to start expecting to know uh, in due diligence, right, before they buy a property. So, Skylar, you previously were employed by another real estate company that had mm-hmm. quite the economic battalion of, of people, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and much of what Zillow is known for, there's estimates, there yeah. predictive evaluation of, of property. Yeah. So when you're looking at climate change, and let's let's focus on flood for a minute, okay? Yeah. As we were talking earlier, should we be disclosing this as a seller or should, as a seller's agent, should we be doing it or a buyer's agent? Should we be responsible for, for identifying this type of information? Mm-hmm. If I evaluate that a property that's not in a flood zone, is at flood risk through climate check data. Not in a FEMA flood zone, right. Correct. Now, it has not been identified by the right. U.S. government as a flood risk. Right. Um, is not required to have flood insurance, but yet still within what you're finding as predictive values is is actually at, at a substantial risk or at least at mm-hmm. moderate minimal risk. Um, yeah. How should agents and how should buyers begin looking at the actual valuation of that property? Like what, what 
obviously it makes a difference. It's a huge difference. Yeah. The question is, you know, as Jim and I were talking before we got on the call, if you tell me that my house is going to get blown over by storm surge, mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I don't want the house. I'm just willing to pay a whole yeah. lot less for it. Right. So when when is there going to be enough economic data to show what that effect really is for the valuation of properties? Yeah. Is, so, it, is it there yet? Yeah, it's you know, it's interesting. So this is this is one of the big kind of question areas that's still open for research. And, and a lot of us economists are, are trying to figure out what those impacts are. Um, so there's been a lot of recent studies that have focused on sea level rise and flooding and storm surge and flooding. Um, those are the ones that I think where, I don't know, I, maybe the science got there first or it was more provocative. So we did our analysis there first. I did one at Zillow, you know, <laughs> we kind of, we went there to see, you know, what, how many homes are going to be underwater and um, to think about what those impacts are. Now, some really interesting results came out of those early studies. And remember these early studies were done at a time when not everyone was on board necessarily with the fact that climate change was progressing and real and would absolutely bring um, just would come, you know, and, and greater floods. So what they found in some of those earlier studies was that for commercial properties, uh, you know, home value or property value absolutely affected. Commercial properties absolutely affected. These are people that make the decisions with the numbers. They, you know, get information about risk. Um, you know, their their consultants look at future sea level rise and what's, you know, what's going to happen on that coastline. In areas, if we're talking about residential property, in areas where climate change wasn't as covered on the news, in areas where the population was much more conservative and, and you know, maybe wasn't, a, you know, internalizing a lot of the, the sentiment towards climate change being absolutely real, you didn't see the impact on property values. But you did see the impact on property values in more liberal areas where um, it was understood right, that sea level rise would begin to impact these properties. Now, that's interesting because what that tells me is that as we start to understand the risks, we will start to see more and more property impact. The market has to know about it, right? right. It has to know about it to be impacted by it. So you see it if there's already flooding um, in areas of conservative liberal, it doesn't matter, you know, in places in Miami, you know, right, it's already happening. You can make that measurement. Um, and they're, they already, like those analysis, billions and billions of dollars of property value kind of has been harvested away um, by the fact that that flooding is now sure. much more common in Florida. Um but I think in terms of knowing the actual impact, because you have two things going on, you have the risk itself that's threatening properties, and then you have the salience around the fact that the risk is real, right? And that's when you start to see the home value trends, right? That's when you start to see the impact to home values. People are more and more waking up, right? They're waking up to the fact that climate change is real, that it's going to intensely impact a lot of areas, Um to the form of extreme property damage, right? Um, and so the kind of what it'll do to the home values, right, over time will will start coming as more and more people kind of understand the real risks. But the information doesn't stop the underlying risk from being there, right? right? Whether or not people can respond and make decisions. So, so, let, right me, so let me ask what, you know, and maybe this is a East Coast, West Coast question. Mm-hmm. Um, which has more effect on the public acceptance of climate change as a reality. Mm. The heavy hurricane seasons that we see in the Atlantic or the forest fires mm-hmm. all over the West Coast? And think, it, or, or is that really dependent upon which side you live on? Yeah, I think it, it's dependent on which side you live on. But I think the fire, the forest fires have just, I think, 
I mean, it's a conflagration, you know what I mean? It's, it's a stark and dramatic and horrifying reality um, for California and, you know, Oregon and Washington. And, and I think the huge scale and just the sheer millions of acres burned is a startling wake up call. Um, I don't know, you know, honestly, sometimes I'm, I am surprised, you know, I, I am surprised for example, that Sandy, right, which, what, 2012, didn't have as much of an impact on, say, uh, rebuilding in New Jersey. The, you know, um, I'm, I'm shocked by that, right? I mean, 2% of homes in coastal New Jersey counties were built after 2014, you know, were rebuilding in areas that were uh, damaged no, by no, 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 no. and that are expected to be underwater, in a, in a relatively short period of time, and we're building long-term uh, housing in those places. So, you know, it, it's funny, it's hard to get into the American psyche and know what exactly it was, right, that made more and more people um, accept climate change. But, you know, things like uh, the recent snow um, on the East Coast, that, you know, is attributed to climate change. These kind of odd, bizarre, extreme weather events are going to become much more likely. And I think as we, as it piles up, we start to we start to get it. So, I mean, from a, from a predictive perspective, and you know, because you're the one with the data and the analysis and the math, you know, yeah. you know, when, when, where, where do you, from an economist perspective, where do you is there a prediction you can make that says in three years this the climate change data will be at a, at a critical mass of people saying. I don't want to, you know, the rebuilding is a completely different conversation about whether they should or could or will rebuild. That's a completely different threshold. But I think it's, will people, if they say, just to pick on New Jersey, if they say that part of New Jersey is going from an 80 to an 87 uh, storm risk, will more people evaluate that as a risk they don't want to undertake? And will that have an impact on that regional region's economy? Yeah, I think one of the things that's tricky about climate change and thinking about like how long will it have to take or what is the evidence that's going to happen is that the change to the risks right now is a more mild slope, right? And as we get further along in the process, things are going to start changing much more rapidly, right? So then you start to to really kind of get the ramp up as you get these feedback loops um, in terms of kind of what that impact actually is. Um, so if I think about, let's see, what is, what is the thing? Um, yeah, what is it going to take? That's a, that's a really, this, yeah, it's a really interesting question to, to kind of ask that in terms of what is it going to take to kind of make it, make it stark. It's, it's gradual right now. And then the impact to our lifestyles is going to start speeding up. And I think that's one of the horrifying elements of people who study the science is that if we don't get it now, we're not going to be able to avoid that fast right. ramp. Right. right. And that's right. why we want to provide that information now, 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 so that people are making the decisions to mitigate that risk. Right now, if you only, let's see what the average homeowner lives in the home for 10 years, um, it used to be, you know, 14, it gets slower, lower and lower and lower as we have to move more often. Um, so if I was buying a home in an area that was expected, you know, to where the ramp up will increase later, right. Um, I might be okay. I get to live by the coast. I get, you know, I'm in yep. this you know, beautiful area. It could be risky later, but right mm-hmm. now it provides me the lifestyle that I like. Now, the problem is, 
I'm going to sell that home in 10 years. And then right. to the person that I, that buys it from me is going to experience the risk. Well, this, is, this is where my, you know, the cynic in me says the risk is not to the homeowner who is buying or building. The risk is not the risk of loss. The risk is that someone will not insure it in the yeah. future. Yeah. And if I knew, as I do right now, that I can subscribe to federal flood programs right. and they will continue to rebuild my property, there's no risk. It's an expensive policy to maintain, but there really is no risk that my my home is going to go away permanently. So the question is, you know, at what point do we look at FEMA and say, yeah, your property is clearly a risk to flooding. You know, you're along the riverbanks of XYZ River, Mm -hmm. you're along the coast, and we're not going to insure within 15 miles. And yes, we're going to insure it. And if it's destroyed, we're going to pay it off. But it will never be insured again. You're going to have to build somewhere else that's in a lower risk zone. You know, is it public policy like that that's going to change the way yeah. people think about buying a five million dollar property on an island? Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, the the Obama administration already passed kind of those those kind of changes to the federal flood insurance program that made it so that you couldn't rebuild as readily in in some places. Now they might not have gone as far to really mitigate those future risks, but those kind of changes start happening. If you think about Florida, Florida is mostly self-insured at this point. You know, that 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 insurance wouldn't really be available for most homeowners at all unless, you know, Florida stepped in and, yeah. and insured homeowners. And California might end up going that way as well. Right now, California passed a law that you can't, um, you know, they can't uh, cancel someone's insurance policy until December of this year. But, <laughs> you know, unless that's extended, what's going to happen in December? You know, a lot of those places that are in areas that are expected to to burn again. Um, so, and, and reinsurance is, is, or insurance is absolutely one of the lenses to, to look at, you know, how do we stop continued uh, property loss and damage? Well, I mean, that, that's one of the things I think of is, you know, when, when you look at the longevity of this and the, and the planning for it, insurance companies have been planning for it for decades. You know, yeah. The U S army and military have been planning for this for decades. So I yeah. think that getting something like this, you know, to the consumer level, if you will, where it's to, to be perfectly honest, you know, it's it's a pretty simple display of data that makes it more mm-hmm. more more approachable, if you will, <laughs> to to people to say, oh, well, that's red, that's bad. But I think right. that for you know, <laughs> we're simple, right. we're simple people. But I think you right. get to that point of of understanding the data of how it's going to impact you. I think that it could have an impact on people understanding, you know, what climate change is going to do to them because humans look at what's in their backyard. And not in the you know, anywhere else. So this is something that affects their backyards directly. Yeah. Well, and, and as someone who, you know, I guess is as an economist who thinks a lot about climate change pro- problems, not just locally but but at scale, I think that's the answer to getting some of these changes happening with policy. Right? Is bringing the risk locally. Right? It's really hard, I think, and and pretty unreasonable to ask, say, you know, you're average um house husband because that's what what i have so i like to flip the script but um so ask a you know average house partner um in order to care about say you know dolphins or icebergs or something so far away when you know you're hounded by your four-year-old every day or you know when you're struggling to uh you know go through covid and but if you can bring the risks closer to home literally like what how's it going to impact you and your lifestyle that's when you start to see movement um on um 
on, on this kind of change. So, so Scholar, we're going a little bit long, but I want to give you a shot on this. Where does climate check go in the next five years? So right now you've got this a very, very graceful, easy app for, for homeowners and yeah. buyers and sellers to use. Where, where, where do you see your product? Where do you see the company headed? What are the next steps and, and outlets for your, for your information? Yeah, yeah. I think probably the kind of the most obvious next step in many ways is to help um, any entity that has a portfolio of homes understand their portfolio risk. So right now you can go on climatecheck.com and you type in your property that works great for a home buyer, right, where you're considering one or maybe five properties at a time across your space, right? Um, but in terms of, you know, providing that economic analysis and risk information for more homes, so there you're thinking, and you know, banks, uh, insurers, uh, REITs, um, you know, anyone that really needs a, a wider view across a, a portfolio, um, that's kind of what we're, we're actively pursuing. But if we're talking five years out and people are starting to experience the impact of climate change, so greater heat, um, you know, heavier precipitation, people are going to need to invest in resiliency at their homes, even if you want to live there over the long term, right? So insulation, uh, new storm winds, windows, um, uh, you know, sewer and drains and solar panels for mitigation, you know, how can we uh, how can we make these communities more resilient by connecting home buyers and homeowners uh, and even home sellers, right? If that's something you have to do in order to make your property more viable on the market um, to resiliency providers, so home service, um, so lead gen and, and make more resilient communities. Because there's a reason why people live in the woods in California, you know, it, there's a reason why people live in Phoenix, Arizona. Um, there's a reason why people want to live on the coast in Florida, right? So what can we do to maintain at least the, the lifestyles um, sure. that, that's reasonable to, to enjoy? So, all right, Scholar. So I, I, love, I love that thought. And I think, you know, especially as you said, the commercial purchasers have always mm -hmm. been kind of forefront of identifying risk and, and looking mm -hmm. at it from a numerical standpoint. It's very hard to get a home buyer to mm -hmm. look at anything other than, than kind of their gut instinct and the love and the passion and the excitement that comes mm -hmm. around buying. But, yeah. um, but certainly for the portfolio owner, I see it. I mean, that, that makes complete sense as in terms of how that, that all comes together. But you know, this is uh sweat the details and I'd love to just get your thought on what that one detail is that you sweat? What's the one piece that keeps you up at night that you just think we need to focus on and stay, stay completely on top of? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I absolutely sweat this problem at scale. You know, if, if we can't get more people to recognize the coming risk that it's serious and that it's going to impact the livelihood of my children, you know, um, I worry a lot for us. Um, and I think that's why I joined a company like Climate Check that's trying to bring risk information to everyday people because everyday people are the voters and everyday people are the ones that are going to make the decisions uh, that, that drive change. 
Um, and so I sweat that if we can't get more people at scale to recognize these problems, to understand that they're real and that they're coming and it's going to get worse and that we have a limited amount of time to act and that act needs to be at scale. You know, I just talked a lot about the resiliency measures that an individual householder should be able to do or, you know, get information about so that they go and pursue. Um, but in terms of reversing the worst impact of climate change, that needs to come that needs to come as a level. systematic yep. change, a yep. systematic change. Whew. Well, Skylar, thank you. All right, that um, was a real sweaty one. It's real sweaty. <laughs> <in my> <laughs> well, you know, climate change sticks around. It's, it's going to be a lot sweatier for all of us. Um, yeah. so thank you so much. I, mean, I think this is, uh, you know, it's, it's it's not a small topic. It's it's uh, it's something that's good. I think does impact all of us on a daily basis, weekly, monthly, and. I think to your point, it's going to affect, you know, our kids and our grandkids uh, for and everybody for generations. So thank you for the work that you're doing with Climate Check. Um, and I really appreciate you making the time for us. Well, thank you so much for having me. Scholar, cool. it's been great. Appreciate the time. Yeah, take care. Thanks.